Hey everybody, it's Patrick with Dog Training, Dog Training with Patrick Furlan. Um, I just wanted to um, let everybody know that we are doing well here. I um, had a great day today. Um, this is the second day since I put Snickers down and um, I finished reading a book. That was called Dog Sense by John Bradshaw. I highly recommend it. It's an awesome book. Um, finished that one up today. Was reading it most of the month. And it was kind of interesting how I finished that book. Uh, uh, playing video games with my son. So every time that he would do a video game and he couldn't pass the level, um, he would throw the remote at me and then I would um, <laughs> have to stop reading and then play with him on the video game. We also did some burning today, which was pretty nice. But I just kind of wanted to give my thoughts on the book a little bit. I, I think the book was very well written. Um, it's more of a science-based book, so if you're going to get it to try and learn how to do like cues and sit and things like that, it's it's not going to very it's not going to help you very much. But I, what I what I did love about the book um, is that it was it really kind of explored the thought process of what the dog actually knows and learns and how smart it actually is. And, and it, you know, we always compare things to be smart in our sense um, and not in a dog sense. And I think they are incredibly smart for what they are. I think that is probably one of the, the most brilliant, brilliantly written things I've ever I ever written or ever I've read, and let me let me just put it that way. Uh, towards the end of the book, it kind of summarized the whole book up, and that's kind of like what I want to talk about today is um, the thought processes that he has. They're very similar to mine, and that's what made me kind of like tie in the whole thing with the book. And I just thought it was just um, pretty incredible. Uh, so, like, basically, he, he tied in with spay and neutering as kind of like a thought process to maybe to really challenge and to really kind of um, ask, ask yourself if it's really the right thing to do or would proper breeding be the right thing to do. And I thought that, I, th I thought for a second, well, how can spay and neuter be a problem? And when it comes to behavior, maybe it is. Not that the fact that the behavior... Um, of the spay and neuter, like the myth of that it, it takes the energy level down or it makes them less aggressive. I mean, people people can live and die by that kind of stuff. It never truly been proven um, that it actually helps. Some dogs it does, I'm sure. Some dogs it doesn't. But the evidence is just inconclusive. But what I liked about the book is that he he talks about, um, you know, there's there's... There's more, there's more dogs born every day than there are homes for them to go to. So, so at the end of the year, usually the time this book was written, it goes to about one million dogs have been euthanized. And I thought that was an, just a staggering number. I thought, wow, what an epidemic. What a, what a crazy thought to sit there and be like, um, one million dogs just tossed aside. You know, some were behavior problems, some didn't have a place to go. Um, but I thought, wow, you know, spay and neuter, how does that tie in? I, I just keep going back to that. How did that actually tie in um, to, the pro to the problem uh, or presented problem? 
And and one of the ways he tied it into us, I thought was genius, was, and it's something I never even thought about, was he goes, what if, since dogs are usually bred from, if you're getting a purebred, they're usually bred for show lines or working lines. There's really no that in-between in there. And a lot of times when the dogs have a litter, there are maybe one or two of those dogs that are in there that are very well suited to be a companion dog. And when they come home, it's like, well, they're told they have to spay or neuter them, especially if you get them from a breeder because they don't want you making money off those bloodlines. But what if those bloodlines are the ones that people can, that, that the breeders really should be monetizing on? I'm not saying how a breeder should breed, but I'm saying for the way the homes are shaped nowadays, and it's only been in the last 30, 40 years that the dog has really been confined to one place for the entire day. I mean, growing up, you you know, you, you go to work now, you work nine hours a day, the dog's either either getting a kennel or he's laying on the couch. You know, back in the days when my mom was growing up in the 50s, 60s, you know, her dog roamed free all day. You know, we're moving to a much more urban environment and the laws are the same, whether it's in an urban environment or a very country suburban environment. And you have to have the dog leash. The dog has to have vaccines. The dog's not allowed to roam free. Otherwise, it'd be picked up by the pound. Um, everybody's worried about diseases, rabies, all that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, you know, wolves 10,000, or dogs 10,000 years ago is when we first domesticated the first dog or evidence of the first domestications of dogs. But they were more or less scavenging behind us um, and following us and maybe getting closer and building that trust. But they were still nomadic because we were nomadic. Um, wolves are traditionally nomadic by nature. They will, they will have a certain, you know, territory. But by no means, is, if there's no food on that territory, don't expect them to stay there. Uh, so it's not, it's, they're nomadic to a point. I mean, it's about protecting and, and knowing where the, the, the food is lush. You know, they'll definitely stay around if the food is lush and it's booming but they will definitely have the opportunity to move on. And so, you know, what what about that with the dog that really kind of made sense to me was really only in about, you know, 100 years ago, these dogs were working on farms. You know, if you had a dog, it was on a farm. Most people own farms. Uh, if you moved west and that kind of thing, the dogs had a specific job to do, whether or not it was a purebred or not. And a lot of times people, if they, they were lucky or they were doing well on a farm, they could have animals to actually help farm and so if you had a dog it was probably a mutt um some some people were fortunate enough to get an actual working dog but others had to sit there and train them and nowadays they're you know confined to a two-bedroom apartment so you know you get a german shepherd who's in a two-bedroom apartment now he's just supposed to be a pet you come home and you love he loves on you and he may protect the home while you're gone but he's not getting that that work that is so desperately needed in a dog and not saying that there's every German Shepherd shouldn't be in a one-bedroom apartment, but I'm saying there are German Shepherds out there who live well and adjust well to that. And the fact that they are spayed and neutered already to um, to minimize the 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 dog having puppies is maybe not necessarily a a good thing because that dog has good genes that could suit another. Uh, 
another family well with puppies that say they want, you know, maybe a German Shepherd or a dog that is fit to be a companion type breed. And I thought that was just, I thought that, I thought that argument was genius. And so for me, I totally agree with that argument. Um, and another thing that he, he talked about in this book was um, not only the breeding, but the, the training, um, how, 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 how training has changed over the years from, you know, you got Pavlov's method and you got adverse training methods and you got punishment versus discipline and um, negative punishment where the dog has some kind of actual pain involved in it. Um, and it's just this wide, wide range of uh, training out there. And one thing that I thought was very interesting was, um, <clears throat> I, I've often said it a lot in my, my podcast or my blogs, where I believe any type of training will work. Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest thing is consistency in that training. Is the person that, is the trainer that you hired a good fit for your home, your home and your values? Is the trainer that you hired well-spoken? Is he able to convey the message and train you properly to those types of methods? And it doesn't necessarily have to be the greatest method in the world. Like some, some dog trainers use physical punishment for the dogs, and the dogs move on, and they, they seem to do all right, some of them. But um, it is shown that it does cause anxiety in the dog. When they know if they mess up, they're going to be punished for it. And it's okay for a dog to mess up. I mean, part, part of punishment or discipline could be you're not getting the food. And another part of discipline could be hanging the dog on two legs and making sure that, you know, he knows that it messed up. And so th th there's the two different ranges there. And one range is obviously hurtful for the dog. Like, you know, one might make their emotions go crazy, but the other is actual physically dominance and hurt. And so... Um, that that to me like said said volumes because it's not in this book it talks about what's actual science and what's not and um you know there's books that have been written over the last 100 150 years on training and animal training and um i, I think i think at the end of the day when you when you talk about training and you talk about all the different training schools that are out there and even mine when you talk about how training is utilized and how it's how it's done, you, you really have to find the right fit for you and your family, and what are your values, and to see if the trainer actually matches up to what your values are. I, I think that is probably the most um, that's probably the hardest thing because sometimes you'll meet a trainer who could be very much aggressive in his approach that says no. Your dog is taking over the family. You need to do it this way. They're being dominant. You need to take over. Um, or you can have somebody who's just too laid back who says, no, they're not taking over. Uh, no, they're not doing this. No, all you got to do is just catch the right behaviors and they're just going to be great without any discipline added. And at the end of the day, that's, that's always not necessarily true either. So it's very important that... Um, that you know exactly what kind of trainer and what they're they're all about. Um, I thought this book um, for just the regular novice dog person, someone who doesn't train, someone who's not in that in that element. I, I thought it was a fantastic read 
to be able to have enough knowledge um, inside of your, and, you know, to have to gain enough knowledge to know if you are going to get a trainer, what kind of trainer you do want and what do you believe in. Because this has a lot of science-based things in it. This, this book has a lot of science behind it. And it really talks about how the dog learns and what are some of the best methods to go about it. It doesn't really explain how to do the methods. So that's why I said it's not really a dog training book, but it could give you lots of points to interview your next trainer that you think about getting. So if there's a book that you would like to read that you're sitting there going, I need help, but I'm just not a great trainer. I know I'm not going to be able to train. It's just like I, I don't have enough time to sit here and develop skills to train my dog. I would read this guy real quick and then go out and find a trainer. Um, this book was a very well read, very well written book, and I had a lot of fun reading it. Uh, so um, that's that's really the the base of the book. I mean, I I uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, it was probably one of the better reads that I've read. It was it, it, it at first it was different. It didn't feel like the type of book that I wanted to read. Uh, it took a little bit of getting into it because it is very much a kind of like a textbook. It's like gives you the history of the dog and then it kind of goes through the senses of the dog and then it kind of goes through what purebreds versus non-purebreds do and um, adverse training methods and regular training methods and positive training and uh, all this other stuff. And then I thought, I thought it was just, I thought it was just well written, really didn't leave a stone unturned as far as you know, how a dog thinks, what it may be it's utilizing, but it didn't come to conclusions, you know, unless you're a dog, we really can't tell what you're smelling, what's, what, what, what part of that smell you're associating that experience with, well, we can't do that, so, like, it's very difficult to try and find, um, tests that will guarantee show you exactly what that molecule smells like how they picked it up but you know all that different stuff but it, it doesn't and so it's very fair in that realm of this is the studies we did this is the amount of conclusiveness that we could get to there's no way to know again the dog can't talk to us so it's a very fair written book. It's not something, and, and there's still a lot of open questions. And I think with any animal, though, there's just going to be open questions because the animal cannot physically tell us. And we can't physically do the things that these guys can do, and we're not inside their mind. And just like a, a dog couldn't completely understand a human, I think they do a better job at understanding us than I think we do understanding them. I think it's a lot more simple than we make things out to be. And I believe that if we just look at it, and we look at it with a lot of empathy, and you hire somebody that's a trainer that has a lot of knowledge and who can explain things very well, and they make and they explain them in a way that they just make sense. But he also, or she also, has empathy for the owners, and the trainer has empathy for the dogs as well. I think you're going to find that it's going to be a very good match for you. And I, and I would like to say, uh, leading on this note, that if, if you, ever, like I said, if, if training or trainers, you're just never comfortable with it, 
um, I, I get it. I mean, I was the same way. I, I was like, I'm not hiring anybody. Nobody's going to train my dog. Nobody's going to love my dog the way that I'm going to love my dog. And you're probably absolutely right. But loving your dog also, um, no, loving your dog and knowing when you need help is also something that is very mature. And I wasn't very mature when I needed help with my dog. I just for some reason started to dive, you know, dab into little parts here and there and learned that I really loved it. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, using the more of the physical dominance type stuff did not work very well for my German Shepherd. And um, what did ended up working well and pulling back the layer, layers was more or less slow process of positive reinforcement because it is slow. It doesn't give you an immediate result. I mean, if a dog is afraid they're going to experience some kind of pain or discomfort, they will, they will move a little bit quicker, but it doesn't build any type of bond or relationship or partnership. That's what I personally found. And I know there's a lot of trainers out there and a lot of behaviors who probably would disagree with me. And that's okay too. I, like I said, I, I do care what they think, and I love to have the conversations. So I'm not, I'm not looking for, um, you know, an argument. I just, you know, conversation is conversation. And sometimes there's just different beliefs, and there's not a real, total, wholehearted belief system. Just like there's not a, there's not a straightforward system on how to lead people. You know, some people can lead out of fear, and some people can lead out of having just great attitudes every day and being positive, and some people lead by taking the slow approach and developing a real strong culture in their, in their, in their, uh, in their business and in their family. They, they lead by just developing this real strong culture and this bond where it's all about the people. And some people, some people lead by being very distant and only leading through certain people and doing things like that. And they all have seemed to work at some level. Um, how long they've worked, it's still new. It's still to be said. I mean, like now you're looking at businesses and people developing some sort of culture. And so we're going to see how long that takes. But I, just like training dogs, there's so many different ways out there to do it. It's about what you feel comfortable with and about what you ultimately, what your values are. So until next time, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, this is Patrick Ferlin with Patrick Furland Dog Training LLC and you are listening to my dog you're listening to my channel on anchor fm slash dog training and one more thing <laughs> this is also a video done on the podcast you can catch it on YouTube and you can also uh, listen to the podcast on pretty much any podcast station that you have available whether it's Google Apple um, any of the other major podcast realms, you can listen to it. Again, the search engine for my podcast is Dog Training with Patrick. And I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Tomorrow is Friday, TGIF. Uh, for me, since I love what I do and I'm very happy with who I am, I will be ecstatic even though it's the weekend and I'll be ecstatic on Monday. So signing out, you guys enjoy your weekend. And I will see you probably tomorrow. I'll probably have another podcast. So, all right. Take care. And thank you.